Welcome to Conversations with Women and Hollywood. I'm Melissa Silverstein, your host. We talk with the women creatives who are making things happen in the film industry. Women in Hollywood educates, advocates, and agitates for gender equality in Hollywood and the global film industry. For daily updates on what is going on, please read us at blog.womeninhollywood.com. Also make sure to check out our resources at womeninhollywood.com. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can also find us on SoundCloud. Today's guest is the director, Ava DuVernay. Her documentary, 13th, is going to be in theaters and on Netflix on October 7th. She's also the director of Selma, and she was the first African-American woman to receive the Best Director honor at the Sundance Film Festival for her film, Middle of Nowhere. All right, so here I am on Sunday morning (laughs) with Ava DuVernay, and we're here to talk about her amazing, new, powerful movie, 13th, which I saw also on Friday Mm. night. I don't think I was in one of the places where you were. Oh, really? I was in the uh, I didn't know Walter there were, Reed. Yeah, there were six screenings I did that not night. know that. Six. That's nuts. Nuts. I did not know that until later the night yeah. when they told me that there were other ones going on. Yeah, I looked I had, I had. looked on the schedule and I was like, um, six? Damn. That's impressive. That's fantastic. Yeah, so um, I guess the first question is, like, why were you driven to make this movie? Yeah. Um, I think... This has always been with me. It's been a topic that I've always uh, thought about. Even when I was a little girl, growing up in Compton, there was a heavy police presence. I would always see cops on my block. The interactions weren't positive, as I'd see um, officers interacting with the citizens of my community. Um, Much, much more negative encounters than positive, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, is, is interesting as a child when I think back. I mean... You know, most folks in this country who don't live in black and brown communities, you know, regard the cops as uh, a for a sense of safety. Right. And um and you know imagine growing up and feeling just the opposite. Right. When you see an officer. Right. And so that's a real kind of completely different way to move through the world. Right. And so that's always been with me, and then putting kind of historical context to that as in cultural context to that, mm-hmm. as I studied um, black black. African American studies at UCLA, mm-hmm. and um, and then just in general, you know, throughout my life, knowing people who've cut, who've had to touch the incarceration right. um, um, institution, whether it be through parole, probation, or incarceration. So what I found really interesting in the film, aside from basically everything, was how you took Birth of a Nation and showed that it became a racist anthem. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of conversations about do movies affect culture or are they just a reflection of culture like the power of movies Mm -hmm. and I think that you really kind of laid it out and said this movie Mm -hmm. had so much power in its influence as things went on so I just kind of wanted to get you to talk a little bit about that yeah yeah no I mean it's a great question and it's a question that's been ongoing I think though in the case of D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation it wasn't the first movie to employ many of the cinematic tools that elicit emotion, that make people feel um, uh, a heightened moment, you know, I mean, things that he was innovating. I mean, he was a masterful filmmaker in, as far as craft is concerned. Too bad he was a racist, you know? And those images, seeing it for the first time, I mean, imagine for the first time even ever seeing a dolly shot 
where it's moving, your right. eye can move around it and what that does, seeing it in the culture for the first time, then apply that to whatever image it was, that is going to be a permanent imprint in the collective memory. Right. And so, yes, it's a conversation. Do we reflect the times? Do we, you know, help craft the times? You know, I think there's arguments for both, but in that particular film, I think it is undisputable right. that it was shaping the time in which it was um, debut. And interestingly, we have another film this year with the same name mm -hmm. coming out. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. I, I would imagine we'll talk about if that's going to influence or a reflection of our culture. Yeah, you want it to remains to be seen. Comments on that. Yeah. Um, hey, you tweeted about me. Of course I tweeted about you. I tweet about you all the time. Me too. <laughs> I have to say. We were looking at her Twitter feed. This is quite intricate. What the heck? That's TweetDeck. I don't know that. Oh, yeah, you got to use it. Okay. Okay. Because then you see all your stuff right away. That's cool. Um, Yeah, people love anything you have to say on Women in Hollywood. It's just oh, like... I like women. You it, know, I love women in it, Hollywood. It's like every time I say something about you, the, the conversations, mm. the diversity of conversations, mm. you know, all different kinds of people who are just like all of a sudden not on my Twitter feed and then engaging. It's oh, so good. exciting. Good. It's really exciting. I like that conversation. Absolutely. So um, did you have... When you were making this, did you have a sense of... Yeah, it's also really addictive. Um, I, spend all my, my I, I, day. Must, I must tear my eyes away. I, okay. have, I shut it off when yeah. I have to actually yeah. work. Um, so, yeah. No, no, your mind just kind of, your no. eyes wander. Um, did you have a sense that this movie was going to be so of the moment when you were making it? Like, in terms of where we are as a culture in this conversation? Uh, no, no. Uh, mm. I wasn't thinking about it in those lines. I mean, you know, certainly this summer as we're cutting, you know, and we're seeing, you know, another rash of videotape footage of murders of right. unarmed black men or black men who legally have firearms by police. Right. Um, you know, it, it was a very heightened moment of connection with what was happening. Not that it hasn't been happening throughout right. the time, but this flurry of it this summer was quite, um, quite disturbing. And so it was similar to me that to the situation that we had with cutting Selma. Right. Because that summer was the summer of Ferguson. Right. The summer of Mike Brown's murder. And uh, side by side with us cutting Jimmy Lee Jackson's murder right. and Selma protests. And so there's a second time that that's happened with, 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 uh, with me, for me and Spencer, my editor, uh, where we're cutting in the room in the day and then we go home and watch the news and we're seeing the very thing that we're cutting. Yeah, that must um, be so spooky. Yeah, it is. So, what was the most craziest? I feel horrible that this podcast people are going to tune in and say, "Is that is that James Earl Jones?" <laughs> I mean, who is speaking? Well, you've been talking for I'm the last so two sorry. days straight, right? My voice is usually sultry, and yeah, yeah, but, but today good. I sound like a truck driver. Well, I'm gonna we're gonna sorry guys take what we can. Yeah. Um, what was the craziest, most shocking thing you learned while making this movie? Alec. Yeah, right? That Alex stuff blew me away. So there's a section in the film that delves into this uh, organization uh, where corporations and politicians are in bed together, um, primarily uh, you know, GOP uh, politicians, Republican politicians, conservatives, who belong to a group um, where they sit side by side with corporate interests, corporations, and actually take word for word suggested policy from corporations and put them through the lawmaking process. Right. Many of the laws that we abide by 
serve and were initiated by corporations who benefit from them. Yeah. Um, that stuff blew me away. Blew me away, too. And um, so that was a big surprise. Yeah. I just want to pivot a little bit to kind of like your amazing run over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And do you think today with the conversations that we've been having about women and people of color in the film business, do you think if you walked off the stage this year at Sundance having won Best Director, um, you would get the same opportunities or lack of opportunities that you got when you walked when off happens. the stage a couple of years oh, ago? Oh, interesting. I think it, mm, no, I think it would be a, a, a tad different. Okay. I think that all the work that you've been doing, I think all the work that um, that Stacey Smith at USC has been doing, all of these, this kind of pushing this idea that um, there is a problem with stats and calling people on the carpet, you know, um, you know, the success of, of some key women over the past couple of years, like a Jill Soloway, um, that that has at least an awareness even if it's tokenism, right. where I would have gotten the call, oh, there's a woman who won Sundance, let's bring her in. Mm. Like, none of that happened when I won. Right. So I think I'd probably get some meetings. Right. <laughs> or meetings. I don't know if I'd get the job. Right. But there'd be that kind of, you know what they do. You know? Mm-hmm. You know what they do? That kind of pat on the back, let's do this to make ourselves feel like we're doing something. Um, I can't say for sure that, you know, I'd have more opportunities, but I think there'd be more of an awareness um that maybe there could be. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just yeah, yeah. such slight progress. But I know, but it's, it's but it's interesting yeah. because I was just thinking about that, and I was also thinking about Queen Sugar. Congratulations yes, thank on that! You. Super thank interesting. You. Good, and I can't wait till next week. Yeah, um, you were really deliberate about wanting only women to direct this. Yes. Was that a hard thing to sell to the network? Uh-huh. And when did when did you make that decision? Like, how did that come about? As soon as I realized that I wasn't going to be able to direct everything, so I went to pull a Soderbergh uh, or a Fukunaga. Mm-hmm. You know, if these men can direct all the episodes of their series, I wanted to direct every episode of mine, okay. which is a goal for me. I still want to do in some form. Okay. But at the time that I was first talking about doing the show, it was like a six or eight episode season, which is manageable. Uh-huh. Um, when it became the interest from the network and the studio became more robust and it was a 13 mm-hmm. order, there's no way I could do it. Right. And so immediately, as soon as I they asked for the order of 13, I was like, oh, then I have to get people like me to do it. Mm-hmm. And people like me are women. Mm-hmm. People like me are people of color, women mm-hmm. of color. And so it was just an immediate thing. Um, said it once. They said, great. Wow. They said fantastic. <laughs> but, you know, you get that because the day is Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was Oprah Winfrey. It's a woman-owned network. I know. You know, and it was immediate. I said, you know, if I can't do it, you know, I want to have an all-women directorial team, and I know exactly who I want to choose, mm-hmm. people who I've been on the festival circuit with, people right. who I know are amazing. I'll tell you right now, the majority of them have not directed television. They've directed better than television. They've directed award-winning, world-traveling feature films, right. and we'd be lucky to have them. Right. And I did all that. I was going fast, talking, 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 thinking I had to pitch, and she's like, sounds great, Ace. Yeah. And that was it. I mean, because the, those women who you hired would have never gotten on the list for another show because they would say they don't have TV experience. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about never, Some but they had Some they had been trying for yeah. a while. No, I know. Um, you know, Victoria Mahoney, man, I mean, she, we would talk about the meetings that she was taking, the meetings that she couldn't get. Right. Um, you know, that sister is powerful, powerful filmmaker, powerful voice. Mm-hmm. And it just always hurt my heart that she yeah. wasn't moving forward. Now, 
Listen, I talked to Victoria on the phone yesterday. I was feeling some kind of way. She told me about three things she passed on. I was like, oh, you're just passing on shit now? That's how it is? Literally, she bus booked solid until Good. next spring on like six different shows. That's right. And now she doesn't just have to take any episode. Right. She can be discerning. Oh, well, I didn't like the script. Oh, you didn't like the script? That's okay. Amazing. Good. That must make so, you feel pretty proud. I'm, I'm thrilled with it. All wow. of them. All of them are... are, are are directing now um, in in episodic, and that's important because they're all filmmakers. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, as being an independent filmmaker, we have to still pay our mortgage. Right. And so to be able to do that through episodic, yeah, and still be able to have something for your films, right, is important for women because we run out of that gas. Uh, you know? Absolutely. Do you think you're going to do that same thing for season two? Oh yes, we are. Okay. A whole different group of women. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, you're so super exciting. I mean, I I just I feel. Like, this is just embedded and interwoven into your existence. And it's, it seems so hard for some people to get it, you know? Right, right. And it's just, like, this is me. Yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's me just like the guys on Game of Thrones. It's them just to have three seasons of men. Correct. You know, it's just them. Yeah. Just how they feel. Right. But this is how we feel. Right. <laughs> so the, the only other yeah. show that did... A season, and it, it's not the series, was um, called Midwife. Okay. And they did a series, a, a whole season with women directors oh, that's in, in the UK. Oh, really? Yeah. See, we're talking to the foremost historian <laughs> of women's images uh, <laughs> in television and film. Fantastic. So let's talk about the Academy for a brief second. So Do we have to? Uh, I mean, I feel like <laughs> All right. in some respects, you know, they try trying hard, you mm-hmm. know, really trying. And it's really difficult to, you know, move, turn a ship around that's, you know, mm-hmm. been going one direction for a long time. Yeah. So, um, what are, you know, you were part of the way bringing in more women of color mm-hmm. and, and more women into the directing branch, which literally had like 35 people and now have 35 women and now has like almost hundred. Yeah. I, I've got the number off the top of my head. I mean, yeah. that branch is completely different. Yes. And I keep saying that. I was like, it's not going to happen the same way again. It yeah. can't. Yeah. By physical, but just by numbers. So what are your thoughts on, on, on that? I know, you know, you and I talked a, a lot went before Selma and you were like, you know. Well, no, I mean, the, the branch that I entered into um, when I was invited in is very different than the branch that, you know, um, Asante enters in. And I'm happy right. that that's the case. Right. Um, is it enough to really affect change? Really, when you look at the numbers statistically, kind of maybe. Right. There needs to be another couple of big pushes. Right. Um, to but, wait and see. We have to wait yeah, and see. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that was, uh, it was a, a process. And, um, you know, it was, wasn't an easy process. Yeah. Um, but it happened. And, uh, and you know. It's important in that, you know, the world looks to the Academy as the arbiter of right. of achievement. You know, it's important to some of us personally in that same way. You know, some more, some less. Right. But in general, you know, I remember being in a cab in Bamako, Mali. And uh, the cab driver asked me, what do you do? Uh-huh. And I said, I'm a filmmaker. And he said, Did you, have you won an Academy Award? No. Yeah. Kind of turned away. <laughs> turned away like a... And there's no reason to really talk about this, you know. Like that is the um, the gold standard all over the world. Like everyone wears Star Wars T-shirts in countries and Nike. I mean, this is this is the brand. It is the brand. And so that's how people know. That's interesting. So you went from basically using your own money to make your earlier movies to now 
over $100 million of someone else's paycheck. Can we just say why that's even in the news? Do you want to tell the people? I don't think hopefully people know, but I mean... I don't think they know. You should, please, let's get it on record. All right, well, so I just was reading that thing about the tax credits, and then I was just like, I think it was going to have $100 million, and that was kind of like how the story started. No, let me say it again. Uh, the, the announcement of Wrinkle in Time, the film that I'm working on now, being awarded the largest California tax credit in history. This journalist goes in and says, oh, what is the threshold for getting this award? You have to make a film for at least $75 million. Wow, Ava, at least we know for sure, has a minimum of $75 million. Huh, I wonder if it's more. So then she tweets me, and I give like this vague, you know, cute tweet back where I don't confirm, mm -hmm. but I at least acknowledge Melissa because when Melissa tweets you, you can't ignore her. <laughs> and, um, and then you just start digging from there and you wrote this piece that got picked up. When I tell you around the world, I know. I've gotten hits on that um, that have come in the little packet that the studios in Japan. Right. Friggin' uh, South Africa. And now it's in every story about the movie. I know, but that came from you, I kid. know, it did. That's a kind of like, I feel really good about that. Aside, you know, I don't necessarily care about that, you know, discovering it, but that it meant so much to, to people. To people, yeah. You know, that they were just like, finally. And then the people who were not in the business were like, what? That right. didn't happen yet? Right, right. So it was just really a great educational piece. Yeah. And so I think what you're such a, a great a, a story that people aspire to. And you're also inspirational. So it's like, okay, she made movies with her own money. And now Disney's giving her $100 million to make this, you know, A Wrinkle in Time that's starring, like, basically everyone <laughs> on the planet. Mindy Kaling, Reese Withers, Winona oh, Winfrey. Headed by a young girl of color. Yeah. And you're just like holy crap mm. this girl you know this woman is like living the dream mm. so just I mean I think people want to understand like any pearls you know like mm. you, 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 I feel like I always see, like you have a clear vision you know what you want mm. what is what is it people should take from your success mm. I think the only thing that I had starting out and I you know start picked up a camera and started making films really late at 33 years old I had another job as a publicist before that, I never went to film school. The only thing that I had starting out that I think a lot of filmmakers don't have um, was experience with other filmmakers as a publicist, seeing what they do. And um, that constant striving for achievement and awards and money and bigger budget. And it being a distraction to their work. Right. Right. So all I try to do is just focus on my work. And not focus on the rest of that. That's how I started. Right. And, you know, making and distributing my own small films. My first three films I made by hand with my own money. Right. You know, cobbling together what I could and actually distributing them and getting them out into the world on my own. Right. And so I never imagined any of the rest of this. The only path that I can say is that I just focused on me mm -hmm. and my work. And I was happy in that every step of the way. You know, my biggest aspiration, I wanted to be the Black Lynn Shelton. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to make a, make a film, like, every year. That lady makes, like, a film every year if yeah. she wants to. And she supports herself through episodic. And I just thought, wow, that would be fantastic if I could be consistent. That's all I wanted. And so I think, you know, it's a, a lot about working inside as, as opposed to kind of seeking permission and authentication from the power structure. Yeah. The only thing that I did differently than I see a lot of people do it.
So now you're going to be the black Christopher Nolan, though. Am I? Oh, my gosh. I don't know if that was the right right name, but I was just trying to say big budget male director. Okay. So like, okay, so and any big budget male okay. male director. All right. I mean, there there are no women to compare you to. There's no. You know what? But I won't be that. You know why? Because uh, I, I, the films I, I want to make don't need the stories I want to tell right. don't necessarily need that much money. Right. The stories that Chris Nolan wants to tell needs millions of dollars. Right. Um. You know, I don't know how many more uh, stories that I need are this like, much money right. for. And, uh, but, you know, and that doesn't matter experience. to you. That doesn't necessarily The budget? Yeah. No. Okay. I mean, yeah, I can't have too low of a budget that I can't tell the story. Okay. And this is great that it gets me into a place where I can manage a higher budget. Um, but no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at projects now that, you know, are in lower ranges. Uh, um, do you, you get know, offered, great stories. Do you get offered every movie now? I get offered every black historical drama you've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> the first black firefighter in Wisconsin. He has a great story. Can you do his movie? I get offered a lot of first movies. Uh-huh. Um, and that's it. I don't get a lot offered a lot of women's movies. Um, I don't get a lot offered a lot of kind of mainstream stuff. I get a lot of offered a lot of black history Selma part twos, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. But it's better than zero. Well, right. Well thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Um, thank you. Always happy to see you. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Women in Hollywood. For more podcasts and daily updates, please go to blog.womeninhollywood.com. For resources, to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and to help support the work of Women in Hollywood, please go to our website, womenandhollywood.com. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Adam Shartoff. Music is by Laura Karpman.